Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Raw Knuckles Podcast. Please like, follow, and subscribe. I, I got number 30 in Montreal. Fucking goalie's number. They said, here's your jersey. I'm at 30? Yeah, 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 I used to get, when, when I get would go to training camp, yeah, I'd get, like, the number, yeah, the, the sent down number, right? Like, 62. It's like, fuck, yeah. I didn't make the team. It oh, was a, yeah. It was a call-up number in Montreal, right? Yeah. 30? Anytime someone got called up, it was 30. I wanted to change it. And my father bought the jersey at the, at the pro shop. When he first game, he come up, he bought the jersey. You know, I mean, hey, you know, I want to change my number. He said, no, don't change the number. He just didn't want to buy a new fucking shirt, my father, <laughs> with another number on it, the bastard. But it's it's amazing how the person makes the number. Because I there can't imagine. I don't know any. I think a number 30 in the NHL, growing uh-huh. up watching you, I think that's Chris Nyland. Yeah. Well, I don't think of a goalie. When I stepped on the ice, I never backed down. And I never stayed down. And I was vicious, and I was malicious, and I don't care. <laughs> I'm alive. He's a freaking madman. Look at him going to town. All right, Monty, good to have you, pal. Uh, awesome stuff. Uh, you know Tim, obviously, and uh, it's really good to have you here today. So, um, listen, talking. You grew up in Montreal. Uh, Montreal, were you growing up with a Habs fan? And how'd you get into the whole hockey thing as a kid? Yeah, I mean, you know, growing up in Montreal, I was a Habs fan. I mean, I think the Habs won their four cups from 76 through 79. That's when I was six to 10 years old. Um, so obviously I was. I remember being, I think, eight years old and going to a, Canadians game against I think the California Golden Seals and I think they won 11-1 that's the only tickets my dad got because I was you know blue collar family um, and I remember my dad knew a cameraman that got me into the room post game and I remember just being in awe you know there's Kent Dryden, Larry Robinson, Jacques Lemaire, Guy Lafleur, Steve Shot, guys that you played with Bob Gainey yeah. I mean legends of the game you know and just being able to get near them and look at them and you know you didn't think they were humans they were superheroes who was your favorite player like did you have a player you idolized growing up oh yeah Guy Lafleur you know because yeah. I mean when you're eight years old you think you can score all the time and just like Guy Lafleur and I mean he was electrifying to watch you know when he got the puck you got up out of your seat in your living room that's how electrifying he so you play your minor hockey, Montreal, and listen, most Canadian kids, right, they're geared to play in junior hockey, uh, not going off to college. Some do, some don't, but maybe a little more so today. But back then, Canadian kids going off to college, they wanted to play junior. Why did you go the college route? You ended up at Maine, had an awesome career at Maine, and um, how did that come about? Yeah, well, how it came about was, um, you know, in in the 80s, hockey was big and fierce. And um, I'm unfortunately built like a fire hydrant. I'm five foot seven and a half. Although in the programs, I would write five ten and they didn't. Yeah, five (laughs) ten. You know, they didn't measure you. Yeah. <laughs> I remember going to Montreal's camp and they're like, wait a minute, you're five seven and quarters. You're not five ten. I go, I know. I started lying when I was in college. <laughs> um, you know, but for me, because I, I didn't play at the highest levels, um, when I played 
uh, I played a collegiate level year in uh, Montreal when I, I think I was 17. Uh, and Kent Hughes was actually on my team. And Kent Hughes, being from the West Island, knew more about college hockey. And him and I became fast friends. And I learned a lot that year about college hockey. And I remember at the end of that year, I had some junior teams wanting me to go play in the Quebec League. Uh, I don't know if it was a tryout. I don't, but I, I want nothing to do with it because I wanted to go play junior hockey, go to college at 19 or 20. And because I figured when my career is over in college, real life begins. And because I went that way, um, you start, you're 22, 23 years old playing against 19 year olds sometime at college. You look better than you actually are. And I fooled people into a contract. Wait, wait, wait. But you, I played college and it was a point a game was pretty good. You had like a thousand points in college, <laughs> right? So yeah. they, they retired your number too, didn't they? I mean, that had to be uh, uh, an experience. And what was it like playing with Paul Korea then? Well, you know, uh, the University of Maine program was a great program when I walked into it. Sean, Sean Walsh, Walsh, right? Yeah. He did a, he's a, you know, one of the most influential coaches I had. Uh, just because of his personality and how he connected with people. But uh, the program was really good. I mean, we had Scott Pellerin, Keith Carney, Mike Dunham, Garth Snow, uh, Bob Corkum was there. There's a lot of guys from that about little span that I was there that played in the NHL for a long time. Um, and so I got to play with a lot of really good players. Um, and back then, goalies didn't butterfly. So you could cross the blue line, and if you picked the low corner, it went in. Um, you know, but, uh, playing with Paul Korea was, it was a treat. I remember when he got to campus, he was a freshman. I was a senior and the first day he was on the ice, he was doing things. And I was like, okay, this is what it's like when you're on the ice with a superstar, because up until then, I had never been on the same team with someone that was far and away better than everybody else. Mm -hmm. So Tim had mentioned it, that number 19 is retired at Maine. Only three players with their numbers retired. Uh, number 19, why not number 10? Why 19? <laughs> well, because when I got recruited, I was told, okay, we got, I think, 19 and 20 <laughs> and some other number are available, 27. Which one do you want? And Joe Sackick and, uh, you know, Stevie Y yeah. were great players at the All time. Right. I said, well, that's a center's number. I'll take 19. Yeah. Funny. I, I got number 30 in Montreal, fucking goalie's number. They said, here's your jersey. I'm at 30? Yeah, 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 I used yeah. to get, when, when I get, would go to training camp, yeah, I'd get like the number, yeah, the, the sent down number, right? Like 62. It's like, fuck, yeah. I didn't make the team. It oh, was a, yeah. It was a call-up number in Montreal, right? Yeah. 30? Anytime someone got called up, it was 30. I wanted to change it. And my father bought the jersey at the, at the pro shop. When he first game, he come up, he bought the jersey. And I mean, hey, you know, I want to change my number. He said, no, don't change the number. He just didn't want to buy a new fucking shirt. My father, with another number on it, the bastard. But it's it's amazing how the person makes the number because I can't go. imagine. I don't know any. I think a number thirty in the NHL. Growing uh -huh. up watching you, I think that's Chris Nyland. Yeah. Well, I don't think of a goalie. Yeah, it's funny, funny stuff. But uh, listen, so you, you had a just an awesome career at Maine. You won a national championship. You put up numbers. Um, you don't get drafted with those kind of numbers. Yeah. That's insanity. I can't believe it. Like, come on. You had, what, freshman year, 60 points. Next year, 81. 
Oh, I had a half year next year, 65. Oh, half year. 65 <laughs> points in 37 games. And then you just blew it apart. And Yassini had 95 points in 45 games. Who does that? Jim Montgomery does. But but how come not drafted? What's that? I think I, 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 think, uh, I was 20 uh, my freshman year. So I don't think you're eligible to get drafted. They did have something, a, a supplemental draft back then. But again, yeah. when you're tiny and, yeah. you know, NHL was, you know, it, it proved out that the most NHL scouts were right because I couldn't stick in the NHL. So they weren't wrong. But I appreciate the comments. And like I said, I played with great players. We had great teams. I mean, I, that, that last year we had Korea on our team. Ferraros were twins that yeah. – in we had this incredible freshman class and i think we averaged six and a half goals a game as a team yeah when your profile is five inches off of like what your really your real height is not many people are gonna... <laughs> people meet you for real and they're like wait a minute this guy's a liar we can't draft him <laughs> that's awesome so i want to touch on your playing career as a pro and you first year you go to st louis uh, six, 20 points 67 games then, you know, you were pre-Peoria pre, pre, uh, a bit. And then you end up getting traded to Habs. Only five games there. And then Philly, only eight games there. The coach, Jim Montgomery, right now, um, looking back on your playing career, why was that? Was it just a size thing? Because you obviously you had the talent. Was it a size thing, or was there something you could have done better, looking back at it? Yeah, uh, it's a great question. Um, you know, I think if I would have wanted to get more games, because my talent level was was good, my, my brain and, and uh, my competitiveness is what allowed me to be a really good player in college and a real good player in the minors. Um, but at the NHL level, everybody competes. And the best players were far and away better than I was. It's just that simple. So now I'm, I'm looking at how do I get in the bottom six? And unfortunately, back then, size in the bottom six, it was needed. If you were to win, and I, yeah. I think it's still needed, to be honest, to win the uh, two-month war in the playoffs. And um, I don't blame the coaches for you know once i got there like i got used more in the playoffs by coaches than i did in the regular season uh i think because there was a little bit of a trust that i would do anything possible to try and help the team but it still wasn't and i knew it i just simple wasn't as good as the players that belonged in the nhl so what was like is there a player today's game like who would you kind of compare your game like an andrew shaw i know he doesn't play anymore but like what was your style no i i mean maybe uh garland in vancouver okay um you know um it, it's a good question like a lot of people say like oh you're a smaller guy there's more smaller guys in the game now would you play more i didn't skate like these guys i don't have the skill like they have like i mean the skill level in the nhl now it's incredible what these guys do <laughs> it is at it's, the pace they do it at so you're credited with given that Famous line in Philadelphia, the Legion of Doom line, LeClaire, Lindros, and Renberg. Where, does, where did that come from? How'd you pull that out of the hat? 
<laughs> Legion well, of Doom. It's funny. My best friend in Montreal is Tommy Kachapo. We played midget together, and uh, he's a very successful businessman in Montreal. And um, maybe next year when we're in town uh, in Montreal, we'll go out to dinner with him night sure. before the game. I'd love to. Uh, because he'll he'll want to know about your fights with Dave Brown and uh, oh, Chief. Because he's a Flyers fan. Yeah, so he's well, going to want to know. <laughs> I, I'll give it to him. <laughs> but him and I were on the phone, and I just got in a, and Leclerc joined Renberg and Lindros, and they just started dominating. Like, they dominated skill lines, physical lines, defensive lines, offensive lines. They were scoring, like, three goals a game. And uh, I remember a reporter was going around doing an article on them, and he asked me, he goes, uh, what, what do you, why are they so hard to contain? And I said, well, they're big, they're skilled, they're smart, and they're tough. I'm like, you're doomed when you play them. And I just talked to Tommy that morning before I went to practice, and he was a wrestling fan. He's like, they're, you're doomed against it. It's like the <laughs> Legion of Doom. And I just spit it out to, this re to the reporter um, and he put it in the paper, and it took off. Wow, it did. Uh, God, did it ever take off. And um, those guys were dominant, and those are the type of guys you can win with, no question about it. Yeah. So, you know, obviously, looking, I want to look at your coaching career and how that got started. And, you know, I can remember every coach I ever had, every coach I ever had since I started playing hockey, and I guess I got something from all of them. I know I got something from each and every one of them, and some I like better than others. Um, you mentioned Sean Walsh. When in your hockey career, when you were playing, did you say, geez, maybe one day I want to be a coach? You know, like I honestly thought I wanted to be a coach when I was in high school. Um, wow. You know, uh, I remember going to hockey schools when I was like 12 years old. And I remember Scotty Bowman came to one of the hockey schools and we could do a question answer with him. I asked every question. No other kid was wanted to ask. I was asking him about how he handles the big three. I was at, you know, uh, Point, Savard, Robinson. I asked him why he had Savard at the net front uh, in the 78 playoffs. Like my brain went to how the pieces work and i thought nobody like i mean i remember um bowman uh putting gainy and not shut with lemaire and lafleur against the uh, uh the russian the central red army yeah. in 76 the new year's eve game you know and so my brain always went there um and then when i got to college uh we had Grant Stanbrook and Sean Walsh. Grant Stanbrook's the best one-on-one -on -one coach I've ever been around for any position. Being able to teach someone how to be individually better to help the team. And Sean Walsh was so good at getting a whole group to be like-minded and he helped us play fast. Um, and when I got there, I was like, wow, this is, this is a next level coaching that really helped me. And I would like to be able to do this at some point. Um, and I remember Walsh, Sean said to me when I played for him, he goes, when, when you're done playing, just give me a year heads up. I'm going to create a spot for you on my staff. Uh, you know, and that stuck with me. Unfortunately, you know, Sean passed while I was still playing, uh, not for myself, but for the program at the University yeah. of Maine and the great impact he had on so many people's lives.
And were you looking to coach like at the college? I know you're a player assistant that year in UHL, but like the, you went right to college pretty much. Was that the goal? Like I did. Um, like I called around um, East Coast League opportunities, American League uh, college. And when you're calling around and your career is over, people don't answer the phone. Right. So yeah, people, you're forgettable, right? right? Like, yeah. yeah, who the fuck yeah. are you? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And you don't have any experience. They don't know your skill set. Um, so I, I got lucky. Jeff Jackson gave me an opportunity to volunteer. I went there for a year. Luckily, I'd put enough money away that I could afford to go basically a year without earning income. It's, kind of, it's easy, too. You don't have a family. I was single. Um, and that was an incredible experience. I'm glad I did it because it. I worked for an elite coach who really understood how to prepare, how to practice, how to treat people, um, how to build toward a, a season-long journey. And I learned a tremendous amount from Jeff, still indebted to him for that, um, grateful for the opportunity he gave me. And then I got an opportunity to move on to a paying job the following year as an assistant. So college just ended up being the avenue that provided the opportunity. Well, you know, it, it, it's... You know, I look at LeMay, one of the best coaches ever. He's the best coach I've had. I absolutely love him. He went, when he retired, he went and played in uh, Switzerland. Sweden. Yeah, uh, Switzerland. And it's then a- he, he played a coach there. Then he came back and he assistant coach at, uh, in Potsdam, uh, no, Plattsburgh, in the college level. And then uh, junior a bit. And then he came to the NHL. And when I asked him why he did those routes, he said, I want to know the difference between all these players, European players, college players, junior players. And I want to get a feel for, I wanted to get a feel for, you know, how they react in situations, you know, and how to coach certain guys. It, it was brilliant, actually. But I look yeah, at that's why I went to Russia. Yeah, right. I went to Russia to learn how they to learn how to coach. Them. Pardon me? You went to Russia to learn how to coach? Well, I know to no, learn just, the skills of how they teach. I, yeah. I went to Russia for different reasons. But, Russian gas yeah. you went for. <laughs> you went for the Russian gas, huh? <laughs> they make good oil. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so your coaching career starts out. And I, I look, I mean, come on. You won a championship in Maine as a player. So then we get into coaching. You won in the USHL. Right, clock cup twice, right? Yep. Then you win a championship at Denver. Yeah, like you've won at those levels, and that says a lot. And you, and, and now you've shown you can do something that uh, a lot of people can't do, quite frankly. And and you get hired by Dallas, and I I guess that first job I want to know about what the difference going from the USHL to college to pro the difference in the players and, and how you coach those guys. Cause you know, listen, guys, they don't make a lot of money. They're hungry in the USHL. I'm sure. Then you got college players. Some guys know they're never going pro, uh, but then you get the NHL and you're dealing with all of them. How, how are the transition from each position to, to the NHL? Yeah. Um, you know, as, as far as what my beliefs and core values of how I treat people were kind of the same, but you're just dealing with more mature people. So in junior level, you're like a father figure, right? And 
they're all ears. They all want to get to Division One, or they all want to get to uh, drafted. So um, they're sponges. Uh, at the college level, now you're dealing with a student athlete. So you, the, the amount of time you have them um, isn't as much. So you learn to be a little more efficient, but you still you're practicing a lot more than games. Um, and then when you get to the pro level, now it's not so much. Now you're you're kind of like a big brother and you're in a partnership and how you create that partnership, how you gain professional athletes trust um, is through your preparation. It's through your communication and it's through your team having some success, you know, because as you know, uh, when you walk into a, you know, an NHL dressing room, guys are like, okay, what's this guy all about? And they want to, you, you got to, show them you know what you're talking about and it's the way it should be um quite frankly and for me the biggest difference to going to pro was i didn't have as much practice time and it was learning how to be efficient with the practice time and the video meetings and getting players to understand how to play fast within and that was my biggest learning curve um you know, and besides that, it was understanding, you know, that everybody, and you do this in college too. Like I had Troy Terry and I had first round picks in college. I didn't treat them the same as the guys that were in and out of the lineup. Uh, but at the professional level, there's sometimes guys are wondering, you know, why are you not playing me down the stretch? If they're not having a good game, they expect to be on the ice in big moments, regardless of how they're playing. So the communication that next day, you know, was a learning curve for me of, you know, okay, I got to bring this guy into my office in college. The guys are just, they understand it's the best, what's best for the team. Um, pro guys understand that as well, but they also know there's a pecking order and you got to respect that pecking order and learning how to communicate. I understood the pecking order, how to communicate through the pecking order was a learning curve. I was going to say, um, you, you talked about as a player with Paul Correa and, and like, you know, you're the first time you're on the ice with this superstar. What, what was your take and feeling like? Did you, you coached Johnny Goudreau in, in Dubuque, right? Like, was he, as a coach and being in that position, did you look at him like at that moment? Like, was he going to be the star he is today? Well, I, you know, I knew his brain. And his skill set with the puck, his ability to find time and space was high end. Was he going to be able to do it against the bigger, faster people that know how to check better? You know, because as you go up and and I'm really proud of him, uh, of what he's accomplished, uh, because it's not easy to do. Uh, he's another guy who might list himself at 5'10", <laughs> but it's 5'8". <laughs> We're all liars. We're all liars. <laughs> and, uh, but just his brain was at Paul Correa's level, you mm -hmm. know, like his ability. I, I remember coaching him and we had a two on one drill we'd do all the time. And I would let it go one rep just to see what he would do next. You know, uh, that's how creative he was. Um, I can't say I saw him being a hundred point player in the NHL, uh, cause that's, Hard to predict when someone is 5'8". He was 138 when he played for me. Crazy. So you talk about that pecking order. And that used to burn me as a player, that pecking mm -hmm. order. And it wasn't <laughs> as... I guess it was... 
a little more pronounced back in the day because you were a fourth line or a third line. You have shit on you. You know, the bus breaks down. You guys get out and push the fucking thing. Not the, not the big wheels. Now, how did that change for you that when, you know, viewing that pecking order as a coach, as, as opposed to a player mm-hmm. and maybe not in college, obviously you must've been top of the pecking order, but the pro game, a little more humbling. Um, how was that? Yeah, and I mean, it you know, it's it's an adjustment. Um, you can't. I found you, you in your conversations. You just you got to create more of an understanding of the person. Uh, and quite frankly, it's an area I think I've grown in uh, in a lot of ways. I, I did the same thing. I had to go through it in, in quite frankly at the University of Denver. Um, the way I communicated to players at the junior level to college, I, they, they changed, you know, to be able to connect with players. I, I think communication is uh, a strength of mine, um, yeah. listening and um, being able to get on the same page through our communication skills. But I found at the pro level, you should spend a lot more time listening um, so that you understand exactly where someone's coming from because they're dealing with a lot more well, they got wives kids they got kids that are sick at home someone's moving in the middle of the season how is their adjustment you don't have any of that really in junior college right um everybody's in college your team is what it is the first day is the throughout the whole year you don't have call-ups you don't have trades so um all of that was you know understanding that the pecking order you talk about the, the fortunate thing of having been in dressing rooms, I understood the pecking order. Like if Patrice Bergeron, you know, isn't playing well, luckily that never happens. <laughs> but if he's not, and I'm changing the lines, whatever, whoever the wingers are with Patrice are getting listed first, right? Yeah. I'm not putting Patrice down as the third line center. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's just common respect and um, understanding that that happens. And I got to say with a guy like Patrice Bergeron, that would never bother him, but that's the way you should treat him. Yeah. Right. It's also job preservation too. Right. (laughs) Well, yeah, I was going to say like, did you ever think about like the college gigs are pretty, you know, like I had Scott Sandlin at Duluth. He's still there. Did you ever just think about staying in Denver um, for, you know, I did. Absolutely. I mean, Denver was a great job. It's, it's a fantastic program. You have the ability to win. It's a great place to live. I Co- mean, college coaches too, right? It's almost right? yeah. coach for life, right? Like, right. Jerry, I mean, like true. Right? it's not so. It's not so much true yeah. anymore because it's become um, a higher paying job. Quite frankly, you know, the uh, they're yeah. making good money. Uh, yeah. Not working in the summer, working hockey schools, you know. Yeah. Um, so, but with that, it is if you have success and you're treating people the right way, you're usually. Um, you know, going to have a job that is going to last the rest of your career. And it wasn't easy to pick up and leave. It just wasn't. So how does that happen? Listen, you won. Did Dallas come and get you? Or were you putting feelers out? Or did they come and say, we want this guy? Yeah, they, they come after you. Yeah. I mean, I still think it's the same thing, you know, quite frankly, uh, when I got the job in Boston. Like Boston, you know, they called me. It's not were like- there a lot of teams after you in the NHL? 
when this was the third year, the year I left at Dallas was kind of like the third year that I had had more than one interview. Okay. And they were getting more serious as far as me being a serious candidate. I think after my third year at Denver, I interviewed with a couple of teams and I could tell that, you know, I, I wasn't the guy, but there was someone that I was becoming someone that might be a coach in the future. So those interviews are, are beneficial because it's a process to know, you know, who you're interviewing with and what they're looking for and the questions that you get asked. Um, but by the time, you know, the, the Dallas opportunity came, um, I think it was a time in my career where I spoke to my wife and I said, it's either we do this or we stay in college. And that that's why it was hard to make that decision. Because I think uh, you can only say no so, so many times, times before yeah. they, mm -hmm. you know, they stop knocking on the door. Yeah. Did you have any similar feeling or like excitement, like as a player playing, you know, you get to the NHL as a player now you're there as a coach. Was there, I know you're older, more mature probably as the coach, obviously, but was there any like that first I'm here kind of excitement feeling or was it just. Absolutely. Yeah. There is. Yeah. I mean, I remember texting, you know, my mother calling her the day of driving <laughs> into my first NHL game. Right. I'm like, you're watching tonight, right? <laughs> like, yeah, I'm like, well, now you helped me get here. You know, I think you're just, you're more mature about it, but damn, it's exciting. It's the NHL. It's the greatest league in the world. That's awesome. right. Nothing can change that. If you love your pet like I love my St. Bernard Adele, you'll want to feed them a balanced, biologically appropriate raw diet. The reason I've chosen Formula Raw is because all blends of their food are locally sourced and they consist of exclusively human-grade meat and organs, as well as fruits and vegetables. And all products used are hormone and antibiotic-free. So like I said, if you love your pet like I love Adele, you'll choose Formula Raw. Make sure you go to FormulaRaw.com and use the promo code RAWNUX at checkout to receive 10% off your first order. That's RAWNUX, R-A-W-K-N-U-X. So Jim Nill knocks on the door, interviews, um, get those interviews, and you take the job, they offer you a deal, you, you get in Dallas, and right away you start to, to make things happen with uh, that organization. Now, um, how, for, for you, again, we, you said a little bit, but the biggest adjustment for you leaving college in the pro game as far as coaching players and dealing with them, what's the biggest difference between college and pro for a coach? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it's uh, first connecting with your leadership core. Then, um, quite frankly, I was lucky. There's great leaders there and really good people. Yeah, you know, um, you know, Jamie Ben is an outstanding captain and a really good uh, human being and player, um, you know, and you have Tyler Sagan was there and, and Klingberg was an assistant. Jason Spezza was an assistant, um, you know, and those are guys that have accomplished a lot already in the league connecting with them. That's, you know, it, in the NHL, those guys know how to lead the team and they're already the presence in the locker room. Uh, you're not going in like you would in college or grabbing your uh, captains and, 
telling them like, hey, you guys need to pull in the right direction here in practice today. Those guys already know that. Like, you got to be pros, you know. Um, But for me, it was the biggest adjustment was, okay, in college, I got three days of practice. We're going to do this, this day, this day. And when we play on Friday and Saturday night, we're going to play fast because we've done all the work already. The preparation's done. Well, if you're going to play Thursday in Chicago, Saturday in Minnesota, and Sunday in Buffalo, you don't have that time. So how do I get the players to understand the game plan's going to wrinkle a bit and make it real simple so the players can go just go out and execute? Now, thankfully, guys in the NHL are the best players in the world for a reason. They don't need to see much to be able to go and execute that. But there is a learning curve about time management and um, being able to make things simple so players can go out and make it look really creative and play fast. Was there like, did, well, what about the pressure of just being the coach? Like in Denver, you probably, you know, I would assume at some point like felt like, you know, I ain't going anywhere. You know, you get to the NHL level. Was there like added pressure right away? Like I got to keep my job, you know, type, you know what I'm talking about? Well, you know, it's funny. I, I guess maybe I was a little naive there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never thought about losing. Um, I thought about, I always thought, First third of the season is you get to understand how we're going to play. Second third of the season, you make incredible growth. And then the third, that's when you're playing your best, the last third of the season. And I've always viewed that. In But the pressure is where I noticed it. I think uh, maybe we were, say we were five and five in our first 10. We were something like that. I remember we were one our first two, and then all of a sudden we we're two and three. And um, Stop questioning yourself. Yeah. You start questioning yourself. Like I should stay no, in Denver. Was, no, <laughs> yeah. the funny thing is, is like everyone starts talking about, okay, first 10 games, you need to get 12 to 14 points to be on a playoff. And I'm like, well, I'm not so worried about results right now. I'm worried about the process and I'm still a very process oriented coach. Um, but everybody starts to worry about it. So the pressure does mount. Um, and, being able to uh, stay with my process of what I believe a team, how it builds throughout the year and gets better. Um, I had, I didn't know I had to alter it, but I had to alter it and I did. And it took a while. And I I thought for a, for a, for a little chunk there before Christmas, um, I would, I did not have the same swagger I had previously Mm -hmm. because we're losing a lot more than I had ever lost before. And I don't see in the second, third post Thanksgiving, I didn't see us growing the way I wanted us to. And I, and I, it was very beneficial that we had the all-star break for me to have time to get my brain away from the day to day. Cause the NHL season's a grind. A lot of times you can't self-reflect and where do we need to go? How do we get better? That was very beneficial for me. And the staff I had, I was very lucky with the great coaches I had. Rick Bonus was uh, really influential just because of his experience in the league, you know, uh, was very beneficial for me. Great man. So that first year, you know, 93 points, fourth in the Central. You lost in the second round, St. Louis. That's a start. You come into the next year, 31 games, 17-11-3, looking good. Looking good, you like you 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 got it in gear, and then um, I'll just say it: the shit hits the fan. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'm gonna 
and I, I love your honesty. Um, and, and I'm just going to go to your quote. The day I was let go by the stars, incredible shame and guilt to have my family name, to tell your wife who has warned you that you lost your job because of this. My two oldest boys are 10 and 8, and I have to tell them you lost your job, not because the team was losing, but because of your own actions and behaviors and your addiction to alcohol. That's really, really hard. Now, man, now it's time to self-reflect, time to get honest. And you do. How difficult emotionally and mentally was that time on you? And do you feel like my career is over? Oh, there's no question um, that I, I felt my career is over. How do you rebound from this? You know, the shame and guilt you're feeling um, and you're doing a lot of self-reflection and then you realize I got to change. I need to make a change in my life if I want to be the father and the husband, first of all, and my own happiness, you know? Um, So I had to start working on myself. Uh, I went and got help. Um, I learned about the science of addiction. I learned about, um, I learned from a program of how important honesty every day in my life was. And it's your own happiness allows you to grow as a person. It allows you to change. You got to put the work in, but you can't do it alone. You know, you need to have people who understand what you're going through. You need to have a great family. Like I'm incredibly lucky to have the wife that I have. You talk about better for, uh, for better and worse. She saw my worst and she stuck with me. And I don't know if she's seen my better yet. My best. I hope not. I hope I just keep getting better. Um, and my boys, you know, like they're old enough to understand. And I hope, you know, like to me, it was the worst day, but it was also the best day because not only am I a better person, Right. Because and then everyone's like, you know, um, well, why couldn't you just stop? Well, I didn't realize I had a problem, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> just put the bottle down. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Plus, plus it's easy. not easy. That's easy. Yeah, it's not easy, though. Also, like, like, you know, on paper here, like you're like kind of like nothing but net your whole career here. Right. Like, it's not like you you had, you know, from a coaching to playing standpoint, like everything, like why change? Right. Like. Was there any incidences like before that Dallas thing that kind of were signs for you? Oh yeah, for sure. When, once you look back, yeah, you realize that, mm. wow, I was probably lucky five other times, right. That I didn't re- And maybe I was unlucky because maybe I would have, you know, looked myself in the mirror and look at what, how I was handling myself, you know? And you know what? Like for me, it was, we win a big game. It wasn't when we lost that I would I would go and unfortunately overindulge. You know, um, it was on good times because we learned growing up, and I'm sure you guys did too. Work you hard, play hard. On, mm-hmm. You win a game, big game on Saturday night. It's time to go, right? Oh yeah, uh, time to go with the green boys. light. Green yeah, light. Yeah, green light. <laughs> we don't play till Tuesday. Doesn't get any greener. Yeah. Um, you know. And thankfully, because of a program I work and friends I have and the work that 
I've put in in the support group I have, most importantly, like it's so important, you know, that people understand you can't do it alone. And I have fantastic friends and family that I'm incredibly indebted to and still am. And my, I'm very lucky that my rock bottom didn't cost me a lot, you know? Uh, sure, it cost me a job, but I, you can come back in your profession, even if your profession changes, as long as you're willing to make change. So the coach is now getting coached uh, in the new way to live life. And certainly I, I've been there, you, you know, and I, I, I look at, when I look at my bottom and, and, and then trying to convince people when you get back out there, it's just not so easy. And I get it. People are not going to have their hand out, say, oh, Chris, we'll take a chance on you. I coached a couple of years down the East Coast League. I loved it. I had one year as an assistant in the NHL. I wasn't an assistant coach. There's no question. But I loved being a head coach when I was. Um, and then, you know, the shit hit the fan for me. And I know coming out of that, there weren't a lot of people, like I said, with a hand out saying, hey, Chris, we'll give you a hand. Um, I did. I was fortunate. I had a friend here in Montreal that helped get me an opportunity in the radio and uh, because there wasn't anything out there. And I get that. I do. I honestly do. And I don't have a problem with it. I look at your situation. Uh, very, very successful coach. And then you know how you can get fucking blackballed in the NHL because you can get blackballed. Um you get an opportunity uh, to go to St. Louis as an assistant. Someone humbling, but I'm sure you were grateful for that opportunity. How did that come about? And and who said, "Listen, I want to give, I want to give Jim a second chance." Who was that? Yeah, um, it is incredibly humbling. And you know, to be honest, I didn't know if the opportunity in the NHL would ever happen again. That's, gee, right. you don't know. Um, Although many people in the program I work told me it would, um, you know, yeah. I just didn't believe them. It was just like, they're just being good friends. Yeah. Right. Um, but Doug Armstrong, to answer the question yeah. simply, Doug Armstrong gave me the second chance. Um, we had moved as a family from Dallas to St. Louis and it just happened. And we were there for like three months and there was an opportunity, uh, an opening on the St. Louis staff. And Doug Armstrong called me, I think, um, from my time I'd spent in St. Louis. Uh, there was a lot of people internally in the organization, too, who uh, were not only maybe fans of my coaching ability, but also knew me as a person and, um, you know, knew that I was uh, virtuous in my changing and changing. And I had to prove that to Doug. And we had a couple of interviews and uh, I'm also incredibly grateful uh, you know, to chief because chief, I was coming on Craig Berube's staff and, you know, my interview with him was very good. And, um, he was very honest about how he thought I could help or, and also, um, just about being a great guy. Like, I mean, I'm lucky I went to the blues because I don't think I was a great coach when I first got back in, you know, because you are, you're, you're, you're going through, um, 
it's the new you, you know, you're not going to be having beers with the staff. You're not going to be, and all those situations you got to go through. But Um, what a place to be, to be able to, uh, you know, practice that and apply that as an assistant, not being the head guy, you know, being able to keep an eye on your sobriety and do the things you have to do to, to, one day hopefully get back there so what an awesome yeah, situation do yeah not um you know that is all true and you're bang on um but even like thank god there was nine months you know yeah. before i started uh yeah. before i got the opportunity because if i if it would have happened four months in i i don't think i would have had the success yeah. you know that i did in st louis i mean, I mean covid was great for me personally, as far as the time with my family and the time to grow and learn. um, Get your legs under you and sobriety. And then the opportunity to work professionally with great people uh, in with the blues and the amount of care that though they they have, the the culture there was, it was excellent, not only for me, but for anyone that was there. Um, And, you know, the ability to work with good people to watch i grew professionally there never mind personally professionally now you know i learned from great people um, i learned from steve ott i learned from craig Rube, i learned mike van ryan david alexander you know and doug armstrong um how he dealt with people you know so you're learning from people that have won the stanley cup and that have had a lot of success in the league for a long time. Al McInnes is in the organization, you know. Uh, um, there's a lot of good people in the Blues Orange. So I, I was a sponge, and I'm not making those decisions. I'm giving input, and I'm learning and watching from other people making decisions, and it really helped me Well, Boston. Well, your input, and I, I say this because I believe – the previous year before you got there, the Blues were like 27 on the power play. And the year you were there, uh, didn't they go up to like second, third in the league or something like that in the power yeah, play? Yeah, I mean, we actually achieved it. A, a, so the first year I was there, right. I, I, I was – Otter and I switched power play penalty kill in the middle of the season. Otter's the one that got the power play to okay. second or third in the league. Well, God bless you. I took you. over the penalty kill – and I think the penalty kill went to fifth or sixth or something. Well, there you go. You guys working together. Obviously, it's yeah. a team effort, but it says right. a lot. Certainly that the special teams, whether Otta and you um, and, and Craig together, I mean, it says a lot what you did there. And you certainly made the most of that situation, no question about it. So oh, It was a fun group to work with, and, I, and like I said, I, I learned a ton from everybody on that elite staff and um you know I, I was able to take a lot of that to boston so you're gonna take that to boston so you're there for two years the off season how does the boston thing come about now we i know interviews were they coming after you or did people say okay he's been there two years i guess he's stayed sober he's been good <laughs> now it's time to to let bad jimmy good jimmy <laughs> Um, back into the game. Um, how did that come about? Yeah, I, I you know, my uh, experience, and even the Denver job, is that 
people know who they're targeting and they call you. Um, and I think I was one of probably several people on the list the Bruins want to talk to. Um, and I think through the uh, interview process, uh, the opportunity ended up coming my way. Um, you know, and again, I'm very, very grateful for the opportunity and trust that uh, Don Sweeney, uh, Cam Neely, you know, and um, the Jacobs family, led by the chairman and especially Charlie Jacobs, who leads the Bruins, uh, for giving me the opportunity after a couple of interviews with them. I was going to say, uh, it's awesome for me. I'm grateful that I get to, you know, be, listen to your story and, and, you know, I can relate to it a little bit. But, and you know, how... You go to Boston. What I like about your story is you go to you use that word change, and I think we all think uh, you know things are going to change, right? Like especially when you remove a substance or, or an issue that you have, you're dealing with, and and here you go back to Boston. You're just like back to the winning ways. Like a lot of opportunities for that green light, right? How do you handle those today? Are those hard for you? Or you know, does that you know, like is it something that? Uh, because what you're going through, I can relate to, and it's 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 it doesn't you know it's hard, is what I'm saying. Yeah, right? it is. Uh, but you know, you develop tools to deal with it. Mm -hmm. uh, the phone is an incredible uh, ally of mine. Um, you know, and I, what what I've learned is even in those high moments, like you know, uh, for instance, we we set. The record, I, I think it was the whole here. year was a high moment. Fuck, know, the whole on. year was a green light. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, um, you know, I think you just know that that's no longer. And like, again, the tools you use to be able to and the grind of the NHL season, there's always what's next. And that what's next is really uh, what drives me. And then also being present for my Mm -hmm. kids you know and my wife not um looking to go and you know have drinks till one or two in the morning and then the next day you're sluggish like it's it's just i'm sharper i'm more concise i have more energy at the rink i have the ability to go and make 15 touches instead of three touches because you're also you're, you're wondering when your next nap is like i mean those things that you're just better yeah, and certainly getting to Boston, getting that opportunity, that's so awesome. But then what you do with it and um, says a lot about you as a coach. And I know you might say, oh, it's about the players. And, and it is about the players. It is but about the About right. you uh, being, you know, in charge of that orchestra and, and getting it done. And uh, when you say it's about the players, and I'll say one thing I noticed about the Bruins. And listen, uh the, the incredible season you had. I remember as a player going through, you know, bad times, losing games, and how much it sucks coming to the rink. But when you're winning, and your whole season was like this, to walking into the rink, it's like it's a, it's it's the best. No better feeling. But looking at your team and your players and that core you talked about and that pecking order. I noticed a few times this season, not just once. Uh, and, and this got to be a, a dream guy to coach, and Patrice Bergeron. You would call timeouts, okay? And the one game in particular I saw it, guys on the ice come over, and you're 
talking or you're about to talk and there's guys down the end of the bench just sitting there not even paying attention. He fucking went down there and said something. And that's thing, the whole bench came down and crunched into that circle. And I'm saying, man, you know, just because there's five players on the ice, everybody has to hear this. And having a leader like that, it, I saw him do it again. And I, I'm like, it, it must be a dream to coach and that whole thing. But that whole season, what was the most difficult thing you had to deal with? I'm, not the sobriety piece, just as a hockey coach during that season. You know, um, it's you, you gotta know, think whole, right you gotta yeah, think. i do uh because you know what we didn't face a lot of adversity uh in the season we just didn't um and you know right away when you get here like uh, just lucky like patrice bergeron incredible like you know um has your back right away is gonna reinforce it in a dressing room and then you have brad marsh on you have posternock um you have charlie mcavoy then you have other guys like you know mike fully you know i'm not, not mike fully, my, mike nick that was our yeah. yeah mike you fought probably uh-huh. yeah <laughs> or he's probably too smart to fight uh-huh. you um but you know you have nick Folino, you have uh, lynn Holm, you have carlo i mean i can go on and on with quality people that they, they, to watch our team practice sometimes, I would say to Joe Sacco, like, God, look at these guys practice. Like, you know, they, they didn't get satisfied. It was on to what's next. Um, so I think just keeping players um, involved, and, and I mean involved, keeping the team with some challenges that would allow us to continue to grow and when to use them was probably the biggest challenge we had as a staff. You know, we lost, I think, two or three games. One was a tie, and we had two days off right before the break. We go play Toronto, and I knew the day before we played Toronto, we practiced our best practice of the year, and I'm like, these guys embraced the challenge and went into Toronto and won. Um, You know, and there was another time where we had, I think, three losses in a row, and they were to teams that were out of the playoffs, and you know, we had a meeting on the on the plane with the with the captains, and there might have been five of them. And you know, we go into Winnipeg and we play a real sound game, win a good hard game on the road against a good team. You know, so it was uh, a season where it just seemed like we were going to find a way, and that was what made losing in the playoffs so hard. Yeah, uh, for sure, I could I can imagine. And you talked about it, adversity, right? So you don't face much. And quite frankly, in the playoffs, you're up three to one on a team. So it's going along pretty good, but all of a sudden the wheels uh, end up falling off. You know, what if, what if, uh, what if Marchand scores in game five in overtime? What if you'd still be coaching maybe uh, in the playoffs? Who knows? But that didn't happen. Um, One of the things that worried me now, Obviously, as a coach, you have to go back and say, all right, where did we fuck up, right? You, you want to make corrections. You want to be better. Do you, when you look back at that, and, I, and Tim and I, we talked about the beginning of the year, we were talking about Boston, and I had mentioned this to you before, but two of your best players, sentiment, 
Krejci and Bergeron are 38 and 30, whatever, 37. Like, they're older. I worried about those guys down the stretch and near the end of the season. When you look back, could, could you have or would you have done something different with what you know now with those two players? Because Bergeron gets hurt in the last game in Montreal, and Krejci, I don't know when he got hurt, but, like, God, yeah, God, I. It, it's easy to sit here and say it now, but looking back, could you have done anything different with those guys? Yeah, um, we don't think so. Um, you know, internally, you know, we had looked, I think Bergeron sat six of the last 18 games, something like that. I know he sat out six games. Yeah. Um, and it, it was um, really calculated scientifically of how we were going to get ourselves best prepared for game one of the playoffs. We set the records. That was great. But we sat we sat out four players one game in Carolina, and we yeah. wanted to shoot up. Yeah. And I think it was Marshawn, Lindholm, uh, Bergeron, uh, and the other guy maybe was Orloff. I, I, I don't remember. But, you know, you're sitting out four guys. You're not going for the record. You're going to set yourself up for game one in the playoffs. And uh, we wanted Krejci to play the last game of the year, but he was having, you know, issues throughout the year and the amount of practice time that those guys sat out was for your what you say i mean the body unfortunately at 37 is not what it was at 27 it's mm -hmm. everybody in life understands that yeah um so we don't second guess ourselves with what we did uh, as far as that it's kind of like i also don't second guess myself putting bergeron in game five you know people are like yeah. well why don't you save him for second round could you imagine what people would be saying if they knew I didn't play Bergeron, he was healthy oh, yeah, game yeah, five, yeah. and we yeah. lost? I mean, he scored, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you just, unfortunately, it, it lingers with us what happened. We own it. Of course. Right? right. We know we lost to a good team in, in Florida. They're in the finals. But we still were up 3-1. You find a way to close that out. And – that's the competitor in us. It's hard to let go, but we got to move forward. Like, what do we learn from this, especially with our young core players that are going to be here a long time? How do we all grow from this and make sure that whatever happens in the regular season, that the next time we get to the playoffs, that we own the moment like we did for an incredible regular season, you know, for whatever reason, and I've watched the games back. We didn't play as fast as we did in the regular season. And those are things that are going to eat at me until we start playing again next year. You know, we just simply didn't do what we did. And there's, there's no hiding from that. We're not going to hide from that. We're going to own that just like you want to create change in your personal life. I've been through that. We need to create change in our professional life as a group. And I'm confident with the people that are here, we are going to do that. Yeah, and you got to give Florida a little credit too. I mean, yeah. look at they're in the finals, right? Like, um, <laughs> they're a know. good hockey team. <laughs> yeah, right. they're they're well coached team, you know. So, uh, how about you? And and again, not to second guess, but to get uh, uh, to get better. Look, and how difficult was this call? Now I don't know who's injured. 
I don't have the injury report, none of that stuff. But how difficult is it to go into game seven and switch goaltenders? Because yeah. honestly, uh, I'm a I'm a guy. I go with the, the guy. I'm going I'm going with him to the end. I'm gonna die with him, I'm gonna live with him. And and do you feel that Swayman made a may have had a whole lot of pressure on him putting him in that game seven? Well, again, uh, knowing if you know Swayman, yeah. uh, he and has incredible swagger about him and a confidence, yeah. whether it's game one, game seven, he's going to get the job done. And guys love playing for him. Guys love playing for Olmark as well. Um, I think that with the way the season went, you know, and again, everything's in hindsight. Yeah, of course. I... Um, you know, and but that's what we have to do. We have to look at it. How do we grow from this? You know, and uh, I've said this before, but the mental um, energy you use, and you know this in the playoffs, right? Mm. Get it done the next round. Who was that, Claude Ruel that you told me that story yeah. about? Right? Uh, Toe Blake. Toe Blake. Toe Blake. Yeah. He ain't got nothing okay. yet. Yeah, what's yeah, the story? What's the yet. story? And it is. Well, I, told, I was telling Monty, I, I remember the days – in Montreal, Toe Blake would come in. We'd won the first round. He'd come in. Yeah, you ain't got nothing yet. We'd win the next round. You ain't got nothing yet. <laughs> yeah. And he, he'd do that. And then we finally did it. 86, it was, yeah, you ain't got nothing yet. Yeah, got to do it again. Now, now go do it again. That's what it was. Like, he, they, that, I mean, that's old school, old school, mm -hmm. right? But... But it that's is. the it's mentality they have, right? They, you got nothing, nothing. And um, so, yeah. Um, yeah, well, well, for us, um, you know, with that mentality, with the grind it is, uh, for a goalie to be able to go, you know, throughout that when we hadn't relied on them to run that, you know, run the gamut during the regular season, yeah. that's where... You know, when I look at myself and I also look at, you know, I, I've looked at deep pairings. Maybe I should have switched certain matchups, you know. Uh, but in hindsight, there's not that much that, you know, I could say, man, I would have done this differently. But this is the learning process. You look right. at that, those things right. and looking at body language, looking at guys' eyes, wanting the moment versus not wanting the moment. I've done some reading on some body language stuff that might help me as a coach, you know, uh, moving forward. Uh, but in the end, uh, we know we didn't get the job done. And that stays with us. It's going to stay with me forever. Oh, because yeah. I think we had the team to win it all. And for me, I've always felt I've been able to talk about that last third of the year, get my team to play its best at the most important time. And I failed there. That, that process, that, that process, right? Yeah. That you're talking about, um, you know, um, so, so you're and some back people think it's a weakness, as you know, for me to, to admit that I failed there. Uh, There's nothing wrong with being vulnerable. Uh -huh. You know, uh -huh. it's how you grow. Because if you don't admit it, you're just taking a blind eye. You're going to repeat it. Yeah. You know, and, and to be vulnerable and to do it on a stage that the stage that you're on, because, you know, when we talk about the, I mean, there's all, 
the media out there looking at all this and saying, you know, then they're going to, you know, you're going to have people question you about certain things. But I think that's just awesome. And it, it, and it speaks to the change in you and, and the change for the better. There's no question about it. Um, I got to ask though, real quick. I got to ask real quick. Go ahead, off top. Did you grow up hating Boston? Uh, Being in Montreal. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sitting here and I'm like, I'm just thinking like this whole thing is going, I'm like, this guy probably grew up like hating Boston, <laughs> you know? Yeah. More the Nordiques that I hated. Yeah. I got to be yeah. honest. I hated the Nordiques. Uh, the Bruins, I had a lot of respect for just because, you know, big bad Bruins. just because you have to say the that big right bad now, Bruins. because you have to say that. Big bad Bruins. <laughs> and, and speaking of that, that reputation, listen, those fans, it's like in Philadelphia. They're going to demand that you have, I don't care. You want, I, I hear you. You love to play fast. I get it. But you better have a goddamn tough team in that town. It's like Philly. Your team has to be a tough team. They have you to be, be blue collar. Yes. Yeah, they have to be resilient and all that. When you talk about playing fast, how do you, and I, I know you're up against the clock here, but, um, how do you that playing fast? How do you slip in that playing fast and being a good defensive team also? How do, how do you blend that together and, and get that message through to the players? Because boy, there's some guys who want to play fast and forget about the other part of the game, and you know that as well as I do. How do you get that message across? Yeah, well, to us, not playing fast is also checking fast. It's not just with the puck. Um, but to your point, I mean, there's some guys that are gifted. Like, you know, you guys talked about Johnny Goudreau earlier and David Posternock. These guys smell a turnover and they're gone. You can't, <laughs> you can't tell those guys not to go. Because invariably, those guys know when you're getting possession. Does it burn you at times? Yes, it does. But you have to live with that at times. And then understanding when we don't have the puck, everybody's got to look the same is really important to our D zone coverage. And that's where I think everybody's held to the same standard without the puck, but with the puck, you know, you got to let the painters paint and you got to let the grinders dig. Yeah. Oh, I know that digging pot. I know that. <laughs> they never fucking gave me a paintbrush. How about, well, Tim, you must've had a paintbrush, huh? Yeah. Right. What's a paintbrush? <laughs> Huh? No, what do you, what do you, sorry. I just no, got Monty was saying you got to let the painters paint. Oh, yeah. No, I was, yeah. And the diggers dig. I definitely, didn't, have I definitely didn't dig. Clearly, I don't listen. <laughs> but you know what? You played for a great coach. You hear me? I was just like, yeah, yeah. You guys were just like, what is he talking about? What do you got? Earmuffs on? No, it's someone's hammering. I'm like, I'm so close to being like, shut the fuck, you know, because someone's like doing some hammering. Like, it sounds like it's right next to me, and I'm just, Sorry. Yeah. Uh, anyways, yeah. All of it Beautiful. sounded like too much work is all I'm saying. So, <laughs> so. Uh, Anyway, Monty, listen, um, they had an awesome season. Thank um, you. And it sucks losing the playoffs. You get back at it. Uh, I know you will. And your team, uh, certainly, I wish you well. Um, and I want to certainly um, kudos to you for changing your life. And I, I really mean that. You know, from going from a, a position you had in Dallas there to almost thinking your career is over, and now uh, making those changes in your life to benefit 
yeah, your personal life, but your family, your kids, everybody around you, you love and care about, and and certainly your career. I, I couldn't be happier uh, for a guy that uh, is is a a good man, and I really really appreciate your time. I do. Uh, I well. You, Stapes, Knox, I, I appreciate you having me on. I really do. And again, I'm incredibly grateful for the people in Dallas that helped me face my problems. The people gave me a second chance in St. Louis and Boston. And I'm very lucky to be part of the Bruins family because it's a great place to live and it's a great place to work. Listen, Monty, enjoy Cape Cod. Get down there. You'll love it with your kids. Um, and But the seashore side, like Chatham down there, watch out. Sharks in the water, big time. You know, serious. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah. I've heard about it. Right? Yeah, it's big time down there. So, yeah. Anyway, you can you can come and you go in the water, yeah, test yeah. the water. I'll be the bait. <laughs> I know you'll punch him right in the nose. No, no, no. Fourth line is go go in and test the water. The guy, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. right? There we go. I don't. I won't have a paintbrush. Don't. That's worry. like going into the old uh, spectrum, right? Fourth yeah. line starts. Let's see yeah. what the Flyers are throwing out. <laughs> the only two games you start all year: the Flyers <laughs> yeah, yeah. and the Bruins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yahoo. All right. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Raw Knuckles podcast. Don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe.